Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. Today we air part two of my interview with veteran missionary to Uganda, Keith Stensis. In part one, we left off with a tremendously helpful description of Brother Keith's approach to establishing autonomous, indigenous, self-supporting local churches in East Africa. If you didn't catch part one, be sure to go back and listen. Today we jump right back in where we left off with further discussion on the problems of national dependency upon foreign funds. But the conversation covers much more than this. In this episode, we get into prayer letters, faithfulness, longevity, the use of radio and other technologies, and perhaps most importantly, we discuss the subject of training nationals, and Brother Stensis tells us about the platform that he's developed for doing this in Masaka, Uganda, and beyond. With that introduction, here's the conclusion to my interview with missionary Keith Stensis. When you talk about that that part of the world and some of the challenges in that part of the world, at least in part because a a different governmental situation has been imposed upon mm-hmm. them. If you go back, as you say, civilization is present there mm-hmm. in terms of that they're they're clothed and they have right. educational institutions and they have governmental institutions and so forth. Mm-hmm. But in their heart of hearts, they they still have a tribal mentality mm-hmm. that was there 200 years ago. Yes, they still have an animistic mentality mm-hmm. that was there 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to when it comes to the influence of the West in a place like that. Post-colonialism in in Africa, the West just throws money at everything. Yes, it does. And and the, and it's not whatever whatever their whatever program is being bankrolled by the West is really not owned by the people. Right. You can do that in missions, but if you do that in missions, you've essentially I, I don't want to overstate this. But you can do it and take God out of the picture yes. because they've got to learn to depend upon the Lord yes. to meet their needs. Yes. And the the American money is not the solution to mm-hmm. everything in missions. Right. And this is a hard this is a hard thing for American churches to <laughs> to, yeah. to come to terms with. Well, and that's and and here's what happened. Amer- Uganda got their independence in 1962. Okay, and it's the same type of deal. All right, and governmental wise. They said, all right, we're going to give you your independence. You're your own country. And they took off. But they, it, again, it was the same greenhouse effect. And that's why immediately Uganda basically destroyed itself with dictatorships right. and civil right. war and all this kind of stuff because they were not trained how to do it themselves. Uh, Uganda is part of the Commonwealth. I remember when the Queen came to Uganda to visit several years ago. Brother, they made the capital city as beautiful i mean people were pouring money in let's let's make this thing beautiful they put in street lights they painted all the roads they fixed all the potholes everything and i'm like wow this is amazing i mean look at this place it's the cleanest i've ever seen the capital city well nowadays you go to the capital city and every street light is broken no painting on the roads nothing because it's there's no mentality that says this is mine there's no ownership I've invested in it right. there's no ownership in it right and so it just goes to pot until somebody else comes like you said and throws money at it and they'll take the money sure just like any church i mean you go to any village and and and, and this is why you got to be careful about some i don't mean that all missionaries are are 
being deceitful, but you got to be careful when you go to, when you hear missionaries say, well, we went to this village and they said, please come build us a church. They will do that in every village. Of course. Because they want you to develop their village. All right. In their mind, you're bringing in a church. Well, churches in Africa always bring in schools. And with schools, you have to have health centers. And and so their idea is, hey, we want you to come bring a church, you know, start a church for us. But it's all about the their their personal development and, and putting the money in the village. But as soon as you pull out, brother, I've seen it happen a thousand times. You pull out and the, the churches go to pot, the, the, the schools go to waste because no one's governing it, no one's taking care of it, and it just destroys itself because there's no, and, and we see it in our culture here, all right, all across. You know, you give money for free and, and you tell people, hey, money's going to solve your problem, government's going to solve your problem, and you live a life where you don't have to work and you don't have to invest. And what happens to the area around? It literally falls apart because Absolutely. there's no, I, I just no call sense it skin, of there's no skin in no the game. No skin in the game, no, no sense of responsibility. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah. And and um, it cultivates very often a, a mercenary spirit among mm-hmm. the, uh, um, among, th- this is, it, it's, infor- it's unfortunate. I don't want to indict, I don't want to indict uh, the uh, African religious leadership in general. That would be unfair. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that when when this kind of mentality grows up around the missionary complex on a foreign field, then you do have guys that are looking to game the system, mm-hmm. and they'll bounce from missionary to missionary looking for a exactly. looking for a paycheck. Right. I, I've got a I've got a friend in another area in Southern Africa. Recently went to spy out a new area to start a work and he had a Southern Baptist guy come to him and offer to come to work for him yes. if he would just give him a little bit more support yes. monthly than the other Baptist group was in the area. And yeah. that's what you get into when you create this sense of dependency. And yeah. and it's at that stage where helping, and I do not, I, it's not that I necessarily that I question the motives of missionaries that have taken the the alternative route. Mm-hmm. You, your 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 eye affects your heart. Yeah. Your compassion is moved by yeah. what you see. Absolutely, the needs are abounding around yes. you. But it is it is proven to be a mistake just yes. to throw money at yes. all of those things. Yes. And at that stage, there's a point at which your helping actually hurts. Yes. yes. And uh, that is a, a critically important absolutely um, reality of church planting especially in the context in Africa and in other places yeah. as well. I, I try to encourage missionaries, and I, I know that every supporting pastor is, is looks at things different, but I try to tell them, listen, when you write your prayer letters, write your prayer letters as prayer letters, all right? Quit trying to write it as a newsletter because then you have to constantly try to say, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. I don't mind you doing that, but you put yourself into a position or a mentality that you can never win because you're constantly trying to please pastors who are reading prayer letters. You're there to serve God. You're there to please him. And every, I have known missionaries brother that have gone to Senegal that have served there for eight years and never seen one person saved. All right. Not that they weren't preaching, not that right. they weren't evangelizing. It's just a hard area. Yes. And if you are focused on pleasing pastors with your prayer letters you're you're going to you're going to cause yourself to push and push and push 
and you're going to force yourself back into that greenhouse mentality that says, I have got to do something to show that I'm doing something. Just stay faithful to the Lord. Amen. And, and God blesses faithfulness. And I, and I really believe that, and, and I'm a nobody, Brother Lee. I, I, I don't have any special background or anything, but, but I really believe that longevity in ministry and faithfulness in ministry is the key to start seeing lasting fruit. When you come and you're coming on your first term and you say, man, I want to see these churches start and I want to do this and I want to do that, you're, you're, you're going to defeat yourself. And I've seen a lot of missionaries get discouraged and come off the field because they can't do it in that time period. And, and so just get in the marathon, you know, get out of the 20-yard right. dash. That's right. Get in the marathon and say, hey, I'm here for life. And it's going to take me a lifetime to build this. It's going to take me a lifetime to invest in people's lives. But if that's what it takes, then God hears my life, and that's what I'm going to do. Amen. Missions, it, it, we're in real trouble if it becomes a performance. Right. Missions is so much more than writing prayer letters. It is. And, and it's about faithfulness. And Amen. It's, a, it's about serving God and, and not pleasing God and not pleasing me. Yes, sir. Yeah. This is a good opportunity to segue to something that you've already touched on in the course of this conversation. In in view of planting churches, mm -hmm. a big part of that is the training of national leadership. Yes. Yes. You, as you've mentioned, have put the emphasis on evangelism and discipleship, not upon buildings. Right. But part of the discipleship process, of course, if you're going to have competent leadership is getting men who are called of God and pouring the Word of mm -hmm. God into them and getting them some of the training that's going to be critical to their being effective right. in in church leadership. So that's been a big part of what you've done in Masaka. Mm -hmm. You've got a, you've seen a Bible college established, mm -hmm. and you've already uh, mentioned the Triannual Bible Institute, yes, where, where basic you, basically you take Bible training to the villages mm -hmm. and to the outlying more rural areas so right. to provide Bible training for those leaders where they live. Mm -hmm. So could you elaborate on that a little bit more, how, how the, what the role of the Bible College mm -hmm. is and the Bible Institute in training national leadership and seeing churches stay healthy? Okay. When we first went to Masaka, Masaka is a town. Uh, it's about, uh, nowadays it's about 150,000 people in the town. Um, if you go there, you would not the, the mentality of an American town of 150,000 is much different than in Africa because they live literally on top of each other. Sure. So it's a small, small town in respect of that, but that's where a lot of people come for work. We have a university there. We've, um, you know, so a lot of people are there. So that's where we started our, what I call the town church, uh, just to differentiate it from our village churches. And in our town church, there is more opportunity, there's more money, there, people have better jobs, uh, things of this nature. So we're able to start our town church. We bought a, uh, a nice piece of property there. Uh, we were able to build dorms. We were able to build a, a parsonage type things for the pastor, build our radio station there, um, did all those things. So we needed the opportunity to train our men and women that were coming into who felt the Lord was leading them in the ministry. So we were concentrating basically on our town church, and that's when we started Masaka Baptist College, just as a way of training people going into the ministry that were in our surrounding area that could come, you know, within walking distance or a motorcycle ride or whatever. And so we've seen several uh, that have graduated from that, several that are in full-time Christian service, pastoring, 
whatever, the whole whole line. We've seen ladies graduate that are now married to pastors' wives that are serving in the church. Um, so we've got, that has been a very large aspect of our town church. Well, as I mentioned before, we started seeing people saying, you know, we want to start a church out here. We want to start a church out here. Guys that had graduated from Moscow Baptist College were starting churches and they were needing their people trained. And that's when we started saying, all right, do we require them to come in uh, and be a part of a four-year program, or can we develop some type of an educational system where we can take the education to them? So the first step that we did was we started what we call our Triannual Bible Institute. In Uganda, the school system is based upon three terms. We have two semesters, they have three terms. And so between those three terms, you have three holidays of breaks of about four to five weeks between each term. And that's the time that the kids are home from school, um, and so they are able to kind of take care of the house. And so we said, all right, let's do this. We've got the property. We've got the resources. We've got the dormitories. We've got all this stuff there in Masaka. So three times a year, we tell all the men that are in the villages, if you will pay your transport to come in for one week, okay, then from one week, Monday up to Friday, uh, we, uh, from, from eight in the morning to five in the afternoon, it's just teaching through one course. Basically it's one complete Bible college course in one week. All right. And so Monday up to Friday, we teach them that. And here's what I tell them. I said, if you'll get yourself here and get yourself home, okay, we'll provide you a place to stay. We'll provide you the book that you need the, uh, for taking the notes and the, you know, the resource books that we print for them and we'll feed them. Okay. So that one week we bring in probably about 65 to 70 men that come in for that. And we do that three times a year. And the reason we do it in the holiday part is because while the men are there, they've got their children at home that can continue taking care of their farm or their land or whatever they're doing while they're, while they're there. That has been a tremendous help because not only does it enable us to be able to teach them, without uprooting them, but it also enables them to fellowship with other pastors. Uh, because of the expense of transport and because their work in their fields and stuff keeps them pretty much confined to their village, they're not able to get out and see what's happening in other places, and sometimes you can get the Elijah mentality that I'm here by myself. Sure. So they're able to fellowship and, and just have a great time. We try to do games with them. We try, we, just, we try to have fun with them. We try to feed them well. We try to just encourage them in that week. And most of the time, I would say 99% of the time, every person from there just leaves pumped up, you yeah. know, and, and it just encourages them to go on, encourages them that there's other men that are fighting the same battles. We give them time to ask questions. You know, what, what do you do in the ministry situation like this? And then instead of me giving the answer, I may ask one of the other pastors, has anybody else had this same problem? Uh, what, what did you do? You know? And so it gives them some credibility that they've, been able to solve the problem himself. And so yeah. we have a lot of question answer times and, and, you know, dealing with other religions and how to deal with personnel situations in their churches and things. So then, uh, just re about three years ago, God brought a man and, and, uh, in, into my life by the name of Kasaja Frederick. And Kasaja Frederick is a man who has been pastoring up in the Northeastern part of Uganda with a different tribe, the Busoga. And he came to me and said, 
he said, listen, I have started 50 churches up here. All right. Now, let me give you a little background on him because he went to a Southern Baptist university there in, uh, in, in Uganda. He began developing in his own life, the convictions of the word of God. And he said, listen, the direction they're going is not Bible. And so he broke off from them. How about that? Well, but when he broke off, he still had kind of their same teaching in his mind that says, basically, you go to this church, get a group of people together uh, under a tree, preach the gospel to them. Uh, okay, you look like you're the smartest one here. You're the pastor. Okay. And, uh, and that's what he did. And so he's going all around evangelizing. I mean, just gung-ho. He's got zeal. I mean, he's just a great guy. And going to all these places, well, he's got 50 guys, 50 churches up there that of men calling themselves pastors who, since I've met him, many of them have gotten saved because wow. they, yeah. Didn't, yeah, they weren't trained. You know, the, there, were, there was a false idea of how to start churches. And, uh, and so these men are just literally starving for training in the Word of God. So I've got down south a Trinity Bible Institute, and so these guys up here are saying, hey, we need some training. So at first, I started bringing some of their guys. I said, listen, it's more expensive transport, but if you can come down to our Try on Your Bible Institute, you know, you can get that training. Well, it ended up being they're just coming a long distance, and I felt so sorry for them. And I said, all right, we've got to start another Try on Your Bible Institute. So we started one up there with another 65 to 70 guys coming for that. So every break, we've got these two Try on Your Bible Institutes with, you know, 120, 150 guys that we're training every and I tell you, brother, I'm just having a blast. It is, and especially the guys up in the Northeast because they've never had any type of training. They've never had any type of material. No one's ever taught them about discipleship or anything like this. So that is what really led me to start what is called our village mentorship and assistance ministry. Because, all right, we've got our Bible college going, training people in our town. We've got our two Trinity Bible Institutes but we're not getting into the specific churches, all right, to where I'm going to your church and I'm sitting down with your leaders and helping your leaders. And so we started the village mentorship and assistance ministry where myself and a couple of my guys that I've trained, we go into these specific churches one-on-one -on -one and we sit down with them and say, and, and teach them leadership training. We teach them how to set up a church constitution. We teach them how to start their uh, discipleship program and how to evangelize. So it's on a more uh, local level. So what we did was we go, uh, I, uh, this last furlough, we were able to raise the money for a truck. And so I took that truck, it's about a 20-foot bed truck, and uh, we outfitted it inside with uh, power, electricity, uh, run on batteries. Um, I put uh, four uh, cots that uh, fold up to the side of the truck and then come down. So we carry chairs, we carry medical equipment, we carry sound equipment, we carry tents, we, everything we need for when we go to these villages, uh, we can carry in that truck. And then when we get there, unload, it then becomes my bedroom. <laughs> and uh, so the guys and I stay in the truck uh, and it just gives us a clean environment to sleep in while we're in these villages. Sure. And uh, But it, it enables us to be able to be with them, sleep with them, eat with them, fellowship with them. And we have just developed close relationships with these guys uh, because, you know, they said we've had lots of missionaries come, but they've 
you know, they come talk to us, preach to us, and then they go back to their hotel. And, you know, not, not that that's bad. It's just that they're not, but they've never had a missionary who come and actually stayed in their village. And so by having that truck, uh, we're able to get into there. Now, sometimes a truck can't get to where we're going. So we're going to be Lord willing, purchasing some motorcycles, um, that will help us to even get where our truck can't go uh, into some of the villages that are deeper, deeper in the village. But so those three ministries, the, the, the college, the Trinity Bible Institute, and then the event, village mentorship and assistance ministry, three different purposes, three different levels of ministry. But it's the whole purpose of it is training men. And, and I could get into, uh, let, let me just say this real quick. I think one, uh, I, and I learned this in coming into Ugandan missions is one of the hardest things that you can do as an as a missionary in Africa, especially in Uganda, is for you as a white missionary to pastor a church. All right, I did it when I went there, and I would never do it again. All right, hmm. and the reason for that is because the average Ugandan has no respect for their fellow Ugandans as far as trust. But as long as you are there as a missionary and you're pastoring the church, well, you're from America, so we can trust you. And uh, not only that, but since you're from America, we don't have to support you. And uh, and because you're from America and you've been to college or whatever, you know everything. And then you take that type of mentality that they have about you as a missionary, and then you say, okay, now I'm going to take a guy who's from the village, who doesn't have a education background, who doesn't make any money, who doesn't do all this, I'm going to make him your pastor. There's no way he can fill that role. He can't fill that role. Yeah. And it's discouraging for him, and it's hard for the people to accept him. I put together a four-year, it literally took four years, brother, to turn our town church over to our national pastor, little by little by little. And I am 99%, 99%, it's 99% turned over. I still, when I go back in January, the last 1% is saying, all right, it's yours. Because I wanted him to get through this time of furlough. And, uh, but it is extremely hard for them. And I tell missionaries, listen, it sounds, you know, you want to come over there, you want to pastor the church, but don't pastor the church. You ask God for a man. And you train that man, you put your life into that man, and you set him up from the very beginning. And so, again, these are things I've learned the hard way. And so I'm not going back to Africa, Uganda, with this intention, all right, I'm going to go start a church here, and I'm going to pastor that church and turn it over, because I don't want to go through that again. So what God has done is God has given me several men that, I don't have to be in charge of them. I can work alongside of them, teach them, train them. The people are already respecting them. As a matter of fact, when guys go out and start churches, I tell them, listen, I will not step foot in your church as a missionary for six months because I want to come to your church as an invited guest, right. not the one who is your boss or the one that's in charge. Right. Um, and so that has been very effective in making sure the respect is going to the national. And, uh, and so by doing that, I tell these guys, listen, I'm not coming up here. I don't come up here to buy your land. I don't come up here to build your buildings. And I'm not coming up here to pastor your churches, but I will work with you. 
as you learn and as you sacrifice and as you desire to grow, I'll work with you alongside of you so that I'm able to point your people and their respect and their honor and all that to you and not to the missionary. And again, that has been very effective because when I go to these churches and visit, they love me and I and they and they honor me as a missionary, but they know very clearly I am not the one in charge. Right. And and so that has been huge as well. Well, that is one of the one of the pressing questions that I did want to put to you and you've answered it is is about turning churches over to national leadership going about it in the way that you've just described, you really are able to avoid so many of mm. the difficult uh, elements of a transition that, that, that is, for so many missionaries in that part of the world, is just fraught with, with complexities and problems. It is. It is. As much as we'd like for it not to be so, mm-hmm. um, God does build a ministry around a man yes. and, and even his personality in some right. sense. There's no way around it. Somebody said that uh, preaching is truth poured through personality. Mm-hmm. You are church leadership. Their their personality is part of the equation. Yes. And trying to transfer and and the the differences culturally um, added to the mm-hmm. differences the differences in personality just creates a very very sometimes awkward and sometimes impossible situation right. when you're when you're transferring the leadership from yes. a foreigner to a national and uh i guess taking it up the way that you've just described you just avoid a lot of that and uh it it makes for a much more smooth transition and i guess it gives you the opportunity to continue to be a part of those works and and continually make yourself available yeah it helps you so that you're not tied down to one ministry all right, so I can work, like I said, we've got 50 churches up in the northeast. We've got 12 churches in the south. And uh, and so I I am in a different one every week. Yeah. And and just with that village mentorship ministry, I'm, I'm able to go to a different one every week, spend a few days with them, spend a few days with. And, and going back to Uganda this time, I'm going to be able, it's, it's, not that this is a thing I've been looking forward to, but now I'm leaving four children in the States uh, going to college. So I've only got two children left with me. And, uh, and so my wife is going to be much more involved sure. in helping, you know, not she don't have to spend so much time with homeschooling back in town. She can come with me on these trips as well and begin investing in the ladies, the, the pastor's wives and the, and the, because that's that right there is a totally forgotten part of the ministry. Uh, when you go to a lot of these African countries, the women are just forgotten. And, uh, and to have a missionary wife to be able to go there and just work with the ladies and help the ladies and the pastor's wives, how to be a pastor's wife, how to teach the ladies in your church and things. And so uh, my wife is going to be much more involved in that when we go back. Uh, because, and, and again, it just enables me by not pastoring one place, I can be anywhere I need to be helping these guys out. And I've have so many of them. It doesn't seem like, all right, you're always here. You're always here. Um, I'm, I'm in a different place every time. And if I'm in a different one every week, it's usually three or four months before I get back to the other one. And so it just, it keeps me fresh with them. 
Um, it keeps me uh, so that I'm bringing new things for them, and it's not just a continual, I'm coming to your place all the time telling you what to do sort of thing. Yeah. Brother, you've interacted with so many of the substantial issues that, that uh, relate to church planting, and particularly in Africa. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the the wisdom that the Lord has given you. I realize that some of these lessons have have learned, been learned through difficult experience, mm-hmm. but um, the the way you've articulated a, a, a certain approach and philosophy of church planting, I think it's invaluable. I hope that our right. I hope that our listeners will take heed mm-hmm. to the to the way these things have been presented. You've interacted with with some of the issues that are just absolutely critical to the Amen. entire enterprise of missions. I appreciate your uh, your insight in Amen. these things. One other thing I wanted to talk to you about, not immediately related to the the church planting, although in a sense. But uh, the Lord, I did want to ask you about your use of radio. You mm. mentioned that earlier in our conversation, and uh, I realize that that is a very uncertain enterprise presently. Mm. Maybe you can share a little bit about the transition that you're in. But God has used over the last 20-plus years, yes. God has used radio in a great way mm. there in your ministry in Uganda. Yes, so tell us a little bit about the Word of Life and how the Lord has mm-hmm. utilized that to get the gospel out and even to bring about um, more the more training of nationals and even the planning of churches um yes radio is it's you you cannot even begin to put the value of radio on especially in third world countries um, in our country here there's so many means of entertainment uh, with internet and television and cable and so really, in our country here, radio is kind of falling into the background, so to speak. Uh, it, there's just so much. America has become a very visual type of, of right. culture. And, uh, and so it's not as big as it used to be, you know, when the family gets around the radio in the evening and, you know, listens to the old shows. Um, but in Uganda, radio is still number one. And uh, in most of your third world countries, radio is number one. That's the way the... Uh, government gets its information to its people and, and, and the news and all that. So they're constantly, everywhere you go, people listen to radio. And uh, if, if God gave me the opportunity to start another radio station, I'd do it in a heartbeat because it's just a, such a tremendous impact. Not only that, as a missionary, you, you're only one person, all right? So you can only go to one village at a time. With the listening range of our radio station that we had there, it, we had a listening range of a million people, a million people that could tune in if they desired to. And in my lifetime, I couldn't reach that many people, all right? <laughs> sure. But I was doing that every day, 24 hours a day, all right? And so it's a tremendous tool. And uh, I thank God for, uh, you asked earlier about uh, when we were before the program about Brother Gene Sharp and the influence and the friendship he's been to me and helping us with radio and things. And uh, because it is, whether you're in the Philippines or or whether it's in Papua New Guinea or whether uh, we've got radio stations in Iraq now um, that are literally reaching millions of people. So we've had that radio station for 20 years, and again, with that radio station, we started in 2001, and we've just been putting it out there and just getting the gospel out, and it's just been effective. People calling in all the time, especially during this COVID situation where a lot of people were tuning in that would not normally tune in. In June of this last year, the government uh, passed some laws for the Uganda Communications Commission, uh, which is similar to our FCC. 
and uh, passed some laws that really made it difficult for us to continue. And I'll explain that here in just a little bit. And so we tried negotiating with him. Uh, I've been in contact with missionaries in Uganda, a friend of mine that works with me there, plus another missionary in the capital city uh, who's been working with radio as well. And uh, we've been into their offices talking, negotiating, doing everything we can, but they just would not budge on it. And basically the two things that were the breaking point was, number one, they uh, require that you have a government-approved editor in your radio that has to be on your staff to approve everything that goes out of the radio. Wow. And number two, you had to, no longer are you allowed to operate as a ministry, you have to operate as a business because one of the laws that they passed was, was that the UCC gets 2% of all revenue. Well, the UCC doesn't want radio stations out there not making money because <laughs> right. they're not going to make any money. So they said, you've got to become a business. Well, once you become a business, then you have to identify yourself as a tax head. You've got to start paying income tax. You've got to start paying social security tax on your employees. And basically what it does is it, 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 it puts a spotlight on the government right over your ministry. And after a lot of counsel with my pastor and, and uh, talking through this thing, we just felt that, all right, God, you've gave us this ministry for 20 years. Uh, we believe you're closing the door on this particular ministry. So at first it was very uh, disappointing. Uh, I was not discouraged because as I've been talking to you, I still have a million things to do over oh, yeah. there. All right. So here's what we're going to do, and this is where God began working my heart. We have a beautiful studio over there, okay? We've got nice equipment, and, uh, and plus I've got literally thousands of hours of programming in the, in the local languages, and I said, well, I don't want all this to go to waste. Sure. And uh, so we, I began praying, my pastor began praying, and as it would be, the Lord worked on both of our hearts. We came with the same conclusion that we're going to take everything that we have and we're going to take it on the Internet. And so we're going to have an internet radio. And by doing so, we're going to be broadcasting that internet radio from here in the States so that we don't fall under the guidelines there. And basically, our studio will become a recording studio. We still, even at this moment, we have pastors coming in. We're recording their messages. Uh, and so the gospel is going to get out. And so I believe that God may be opening the door because, number one, we have been trying for 20 years almost to get a radio station in the capital city and all the frequencies are taken up. But by doing this, we'll be able to reach everyone in the capital city, yea, everyone in the country who has a, a smartphone. Um, those many Ugandans go to the Middle East to work, and they want some type of attachment to home. They can get on the Internet. And beyond that, you know, Internet's worldwide. Sure. And so simply type in Uganda Radio Christian, and boom, there's the, there's the radio station. And I've had some people say, well, how would internet radio work in a culture and a country that's third world? How are they going to have access to that? All right. <laughs> well, let me explain some things. Number one, China is literally flooding third world countries with smartphones. Um, nearly everyone in our church there has a smartphone. All right. Now, it's not a nice one. They've only paid $30, $40, but they do have access to the internet. And data in Uganda, when you put data on your phone, it's very cheap. Okay, so people are constantly watching YouTube videos. They're constantly watching things on the internet. It's it's all over. I was in a uh, up in the northeastern part of Uganda. I was in a literally I was in a 
thatched roof mud hut inside talking to the pastor and one of his people come in and ask me if I was on Facebook so he could <laughs> keep up with me. So it's it's a it's a element of media that is new but it is definitely expanding. Oh yeah. And so I don't know if the Lord is saying all right there's a different level of Ugandans that I want you to meet. I've, I've, I've allowed you to reach that area for 20 years. Now let's try to reach Ugandans around the world with the same programming and the same preaching that has been so effective there. So we're doing that. We're working on that right now. Um, uh, even uh, this just a couple days ago, I was in uh, a Bible radio network out of uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Brother Cody Stinson is helping us to uh, get this uh, online radio streaming going up so that we can get all that taken care of, the websites being set up. Our guys in Uganda right now are editing all the programs so that they're not saying Word of Life Radio, but it will say Uganda Baptist Radio, which will be our online radio presence there. And uh, so doing different things. Um, you you asked me a long time ago about a podcast uh, to come on the podcast and we've had other guys have encouraged me to do that so I've also started a podcast as well uh, that we're going to connect with that you know trying just trying to use media in any way that we can so we don't shut that door completely but go at it in a different way and it's really happening brother Lee in a in a great timing because a lot of my time was spent with that FM radio because you, when you have FM radio, it is literally like taking care of a baby. All right. It's <laughs> sure. all the time you've got to be watching over sure. with internet radio. I have to do that. Right. And so again, I'll be free to leave my guys there. All they've got to do is record and edit the preachers that come in. So I'm not tied down to the radio as much. So I'm going to be spending much more of my time up in the Northeastern part of Uganda with those 50 pastors that God gave me up there. So we're going to be um, building a uh, small little prophet's chamber up there for my wife and I and our family to stay in while we're up there and, you know, going back and forth and ministering. So the timing has been good. Uh, I, I love FM radio. I love being on the radio. I love uh, that's been a love of mine for the last 20 years. But God says, I want you to go a different direction. And so we're still doing it. It's just going to be a different type of audience that sure. we'll be that we'll be ministering sure. to. So. Uh, last year, I was in Zimbabwe and in a, a church building with, uh, you know, uh, sunbaked bricks, thatched roof, um, open open sides at the top of the building, no electricity, no electricity in the entire village. Right. And one night we're leaving, we're leaving church. I'd preached under a flashlight, literally. Yeah. And there's a young man that's going out, and he is watching a soccer game. Yes. In Europe on mm -hmm. his cell phone. Yeah. And that's when the Lord tipped me off that there, that this thing is, <laughs> there's no turning back. It's, right. it's everywhere. So yes. I certainly hope that the new format will get some traction. Yes. I, I'm, I'm sure there's great potential. Yeah, we're praying that about that. And we're just going to take all of our resources right now as far as, you know, what was being put into FM into this and, you know, something I've, we've, I've never done before, um, you know, so it's definitely new, new ground for me. But uh, we're definitely going to give it a try and and uh, see what see what God how God can use it. Amen. So. One more question for you, mm -hmm. Brother Stensis. Uh, you've you've reached this point in ministry. You've you've gotten the essentially the the town church that you started uh, initially mm -hmm. uh, is turned over to national leadership. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you've developed this new ministry in the northeast of the country where you're taking Bible training to those 50 churches, mm-hmm. and, and we're talking about 60, 70 church leaders. The, the potential for that is just yes, unbelievable yes, for, the, uh, for the gospel of Christ in Uganda. Um, our, our mutual friend, Thomas Irvin, he describes mm-hmm. you as having um, doing the work of, of uh, I don't know how many men and, and <laughs> could, <laughs> could, could, could have, could do even more if you had the manpower. Yes, yes. So one of the things that's, you know, an exciting development, and, and I, was, I, I watched this develop before I met you even personally, mm-hmm. is there are some guys that the Lord's raising up to come to Uganda at a, yes. at a season where the, the fields are widened to harvest, the opportunities are great. And uh, at least presently, the the purpose for some of these guys that I know of is to join themselves mm-hmm. to you, work, yes. learn, and uh, contribute. So, what do you think is your what's your vision going forward for the work, and how do you think um, new labors maybe fit into that? And what mm-hmm. are you what are you what's what's on your heart, and and what's your prayer to God for for raising up additional labors for that field? Yeah, every every individual has their own strengths and weaknesses. And uh, for sure, one person can't do it all, and he, one person is not strong in every area. And there are some areas in my life that I, it's not that they're bad, they're just not my strengths, okay? Uh, you mentioned Brother Thomas Irvin, all right? One of his strengths is public ministry, right. okay? I am, that's not me, all right? I, radio, I'm comfortable. Preaching, te- uh, that's me. Public ministry, he's him. He loves that. Yes. And, and that's an area that we have not emphasized much in Uganda. And sad to say, most of the public ministry that is done in Uganda is done by the the Pentecostals. Sure. And so having him develop and teach our men how to do public ministry, but how to do it right, all right, that's a tremendous thing. Uh, another thing that God has laid on his heart is helping us with the uh, with Bible, uh, getting the Bible translated uh, in the right way. Uh, help, what they have right now is just full of errors and mistakes. And so I know he wants to work on that. Well, to do that, it takes every day lots of time, all right, which is, again, something that I have seen as a need. And myself and another missionary and several of our men have uh, done our best to get a John and Romans translated just so we could have John and Romans to pass out. But to do the Bible, uh, the New Testament, you, I would literally have to close down everything I'm doing to do that because yeah, it's, you, a huge you, it's just a huge undertaking. Yeah. And so, so that is going to be a, a great thing because he, I know that he wants to get involved with that and uh, as well as helping me teach you know when those opportunities come he may not be able to go as much to the village as i can because he's going to be tied down to that ministry uh but during the times of the triennial bible institute and uh the college and different things like that he he'll be able to help teach and and be able to help me in that regard so my goals in my future is that whoever god brings all right that we pour ourselves not to set up kingdoms, all right, but we pour ourselves into these men because my my greatest burden, Brother Lee, is that there will come a day that Uganda won't let missionaries in. Sure. It, it could happen with the next election. I mean, it is just so unstable in that regard. And my greatest burden right now is that we, if we do have to leave, 
that the men are established in what they believe. Most churches that are started by missionaries in Uganda, and I've seen this with my own eyes, most churches that are started by missionaries in Uganda, when the missionary leaves, they end up going charismatic, all mm. right? Because they have not been grounded, right. okay? They, don't, they, they, they know what the missionary has taught them, but they don't know why they believe it, and they don't know the scriptures to base why they believe what they believe. And, and that is my greatest heart's desire is just to spend the rest of my life. And I told Kasaja, the, the man I'm working with up there, I said, listen, and I know this is hard for maybe people to understand a missionary saying, but I said, let's slow down on the church planting, okay? <laughs> <laughs> let's take what we've got, all right, and make sure they're grounded. Let's not have a goal of starting 100 churches that are going to fall apart when we leave. Absolutely. Um, so let's slow down on the church planting, and let's take the guys that God has given to us and let's ground them, teach them, train them so that they know what they believe, why they believe it. And if we ever have to leave, they're going to continue on. Amen. And and hopefully those churches that are rooted and grounded in that way have the potential of reproducing themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as long as they're um, spiritually emaciated and, and their leadership is not are not uh, doctrinally established, yeah. that's just not a potential. It's 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 amazing. Let me just share this quick story with you. That, that one of those churches that I we started in a place called Embedizi. And uh, the, the town is called Embedizi, and the word Embedizi actually means ribs. So that's what, <laughs> I don't know why they named it that. But so anyway, um, uh, one of the men that grew up in our church uh, went there, and he said, I believe God wants me to start a church. I did, I did the same thing, go. And so he started going back and forth, traveling back and forth. He didn't know much English, so he never went to our Bible college, uh, just training one-on-one, you know. And, uh, and so he gets there, starts a church. I, I do the same thing, tell him how to make bricks, just that whole thing that I explained before. Well, then he has a man in his church that says, I want to go to start a church in a place called Chazanga. And so he goes over to Chazanga, and uh, and Pastor Sibanja did the same thing to him. I didn't tell him, but did the same thing to him. You find someone in your church that will give you land. Once you do that, you make the bricks. And I just got a report the other day with some pictures of these guys in that village out of this. This would be like our grandchild church. Yeah making their own bricks for their own place. Tremendous. And it's just, I tell you, brother, the the longer you stay in ministry, and I tell guys this all the time, there is, and, and please understand when I say this, there is not a whole lot of joy and happiness in the first stages of ministry. It's a lot of pain. It's a lot of frustration. <laughs> sure. It's a lot of learning. It's a lot sure. of two steps forward, one step back. But if you'll stay in the ministry and you'll just keep at it and you'll stay faithful, the Bible says, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season yes. ye shall reap if you faint not. And and that's what we're starting to see in our ministries over there is after these years of being there, you're starting to see fruit begin to multiply. And that's when you sit back, brother, and you just, it's like all that we went through before is worth it because look at the Amen. fruit that is coming about right now and what a blessing that is. I think that brings the conversation full circle. That is what missions is about. It's about reproduction. It's about multiplication. And we started this conversation in Spain 
so to yes. speak, <laughs> exactly right. with one faithful labor Amen. that won a, uh, a, a drunkard seaman to yes. Christ and could never have imagined yes. that the Lord would get he and his four children on the foreign mission field yes, in East Africa, and now that reproducing so that... so. <laughs> I don't, to, I, I don't even know God's how to. How to amazing, it's amazing. Brother. It's it just amazing. amazing. So praise the Lord, Amen. Brother Stensis, appreciate so much your uh, your thoughts today. The conversation Amen. so helpful, Amen. and uh, I, I really believe that it'll be an encouragement to those that listen, and and some tremendous instruction for those who are involved in foreign missions and in church planting in particular. Amen. Thinking aright and thinking biblical about these things, we don't want to just. Yes, we've got the Great Commission. We've got to get out there and get the job done. But we want to be informed. We mm. want to be strategic. We want to be biblical as we do Amen. it. And uh, you've you've certainly contributed a great deal in the course of this conversation Amen. to that. So thanks so much, Brother. Amen. I appreciate Thank you it. for the opportunity. Well, I felt like I gleaned a wealth of wisdom and insight from my conversation with missionary Keith Stensis. His experience and insight when it comes to indigenous church planting and the training of national leaders was particularly helpful and thought-provoking, and of course, these are fundamentally important subjects when it comes to the Great Commission. Earlier in our conversation, we discussed some of the cultural dynamics of missions in Africa in general, and Uganda in particular, and certainly no two fields are exactly alike. The principles we've discussed in the course of this interview may flesh out differently from one field to another, but I'd like to close this interview with an observation that I think is universally applicable. We need to think about what we're doing in missions. The wisdom and insight that was available to us in the course of this interview was the result of thoughtful, biblical, objective reflection of the missionary methods employed in Uganda, and this should take place among every gospel worker in every mission field. We need to learn from our mistakes. We need to adapt to the needs of the people we're seeking to work with without compromising our message or our mission. And we need to learn from each other. And that's precisely why these kinds of conversations are so valuable. Thank you again for tuning in to the program. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts. And if it's been a blessing to you, please feel free to invite others to tune in. I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.